Okay, Zach, so, to start things off, I thought I would quiz you with an honest rules question that came oh, up God. in a historic this event is... that I played. Fuck, this sounds terrible. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm going to put you on the clock, because remember, I'm under Arena's clock while I'm trying to figure okay. out. Okay, so the rope so is there's going. One... Yeah. So, opponent has a Narset in play, and you intend to cast Magma Opus. Okay. The first part of your Magma Opus deals four damage, which three of which will be targeted at Narset and will kill the Narset. Later on, your Magma Opus says draw two cards. question I have for you is, do you draw two cards or not? Um, I'm going to say yes. Okay. Why are you saying yes? I'm saying yes because um in arena you will have to target all the different things in a specific order which is the order that it is in the card and then the card will resolve in that same order so by the time you draw the two cards narset will be off of the field okay that is what i thought as well turns out it is not correct i did not get to draw two cards off my magma opus so i let the narset resolve intentionally thinking i'll just kill it with Magma Opus, which, looking back, is a bad play, because if my opponent just doesn't activate it, then uh, I can't kill it, because it's at five, five mm -hmm. loyalty. But my both me and my opponent made a misstep. Well, actually, if my opponent knew about the rule, then they didn't. But <laughs> uh, Okay, so I was like, I'll let Narset resolve, I'll kill it, and draw two cards. What happened was, I targeted the Narset, I, I resolved the spell, Narset flashed, then it died, then I tapped the two things I was tapping, and then I made a 4-4, and then no cards were drawn. So, anyways, I was, like, not 100% sure that I would draw the cards, but I thought pretty sure I would. And I'm under the arena clock, right, so I had to make the decision. I ended up losing that game, and that was one of the matches I lost. Uh, and this was in the seventh round of the event, I think. Mm -hmm. So this very well could have cost me top eight. Now I lost that game two zero, so there's no guarantee I would have lost the match. Or sorry, mm -hmm. lost the match two zero, so no guarantee I would have won the third match, third game. But I certainly would have won that game if I had either known the rule or been correct about how the rule worked. And so I went to the geniuses of Reddit to answer my question. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds sketch already, but okay, cool. Yeah, I went to the MTG rules Reddit. They explained to me that a Planeswalker dying due to having zero loyalty is a state-based effect or state-based action, which only gets checked at certain times. Okay. Which means that even though I killed the Narset as the first part of the card, the game hasn't registered that Narset has gone to the graveyard yet because it died due to having zero loyalty. And it will check that after the spell resolves. So, what this means is that if the card, the first part of the card says destroy target Planeswalker, then it would work as we thought. Because it will destroy the Planeswalker, that's not state-based, so that will be known instantly, and I'll draw two cards at the end. Because it has to do with loyalty, it's kind of like toughness. So the way they explained it to me is if you had a creature whose power and toughness are equal to the number of cards in your hand, and then you cast Wheel of Fortune, that creature will not die, even though you discard your whole hand. So there's a point where it should have zero toughness. And then draw. Okay. All right, that yeah. does make so sense. 
I would hundred yeah. percent would <laughs> not have thought that. Yeah, I thought the same as you, and it cost me that game. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Arena Regulars podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Jeff. And we're your source for weekly drunken Magic the Gathering Arena content. Yeah, basically we're just two regular dudes drinking highly irregular beer <laughs> and talking about Magic the Gathering, in particular Magic the Gathering Arena, and sometimes we'll tip our hats towards competitive play. Yes, we do. And this week we have a very special episode that we have been talking about for a very long time. Um, this is our episode detailing how to brew. Very, very right. exciting. Um, yeah. But first, before we get right into that, each week we both bring a beer. We drink our own. Then drink... wait a second. No, there's Not something. This week. There's something different about this week. Uh, I, I think I'm going to throw it over to you, Jeff. What's on tap? Well, this week we're uh, you know we had such success with our tap takeovers where we both drink beers that were made by the same people. We thought we might do it again for this special How to Brew episode. And, you know, if we're going to do that, we might as well put our money where our mouth is and show that we know how to brew. So today, we're both drinking a beer that I made. Yeah! <laughs> so we have the same beer. There's only one. But uh, we're both drinking it. I made it. Uh, it's been sitting around for a while now. But, uh, yeah, I think I made it, like, two months ago, maybe. Yeah. And it takes, you know, about a month about a month to ferment and then here it is yeah so jeff tell us about the beer what is it um all right so yeah. i as you people who listen to the show know we both really like red ales or ambers whatever whatever you want to call them right beers that are just kind of regular ales with a bit of a reddish hue that have a bit more body to them so that's what i set out to make um the grains I used are just standard grains, so two row. For those who know, two row, Cara 40 and Cara 80. Um, and those last two just give it that red color, and the two row is kind of the bulk. Then I went a little wild with the hops. I used something called Atsaka and something called Bravo. Bravo's mostly for bittering, but Atsaka is supposed to give it some sort of uh, like tropical fruit notes mm. in the aroma. Uh, so I used a very small amount of that just to see if we could get just a... a tinge you don't want too much because it doesn't really match with the style that well but i felt like it would just make it kind of subtle and then i went with a scottish yeast which i'd never used before but i'm really happy with it it's i went with it because it's supposed to accentuate the body rather than the hops and uh like i said red ales are supposed to traditionally focus on the body um, so this should be like a body forward a little bit of sweetness to it uh, and then just uh, some bitterness coming from a small amount of hops that I used. Yeah. And I have to say, this is my first sip of it. I've been waiting to drink this beer for <laughs> quite a long time. And I'm very, very excited. And uh, it's uh, real tasty. Which we yeah. might we might rate it later. We might not. Who knows? It depends yeah, we'll how, how much we drink of it. <laughs> how drunk we get. We will. Uh, well, you know, you're, if you've listened to the show before, you know what happens at the end. So, yeah. And those of you listening, unfortunately, you can't see this beer. But I think this is one of the best looking beers I've ever made. It, it, looks, it actually came out exactly how I want it. Yeah. Um, it looks fantastic. And, yeah, it's... Um, Anyway, it's like we, a deep red. Yeah, check out our Instagram. Uh, uh, it's at Arena Regulars. Uh, there should be a picture, but it's just, you know, I'm not a photographer, so <laughs> the picture might not look <laughs> as great as the beer does in person. But um, yeah. anyway. But so, well, hold on. A every great beer deserves a great name. Oh, yes, of course. Sorry. <laughs> so I've decided to call this beer. Are you ready? Are you ready mm -hmm. for the name? Okay. 
This beer is called Red Beer Wins. Ah! <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, it definitely does win. Oh, that's that's awesome. Red Beer Wins. Ooh! Ooh. Okay. Mm. Anyway, so, uh, going into the episode, uh, Magic News, we had some, uh, not a lot of arena talk uh, this last week, but there there has been this giant super layer drop, super layer, super secret layer drop, mm-hmm. um, which has some people talking. Uh, usually, this doesn't really affect arena. However, sometimes we do get the re um, the like alt art of cards or, or different things uh, in arena. So, we, or we like sleeves to, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes yeah. sleeves or uh, that that kind of stuff. Um, there was some uh, like the extra life cards. We had some uh, alters that you could get from random streamers or different people. Uh, so look out for those things. But Jeff, what's the most exciting of those that we could possibly get on Arena? I think. Well, what most people are talking about, I guess. Uh, the basic lands. Yeah. There's a secret layer that you get five basic lands. You get mountain. You get island. You get plains. You get swamp. And if you're a diehard competitive player, you get forest. Yeah, too. you do. You get all of those. Um, I will have to say the art is. Uh, pretty terrible on those. it's lacking it's lacking uh, art uh so the joke has been i don't know who made it it was like a judge or something i don't know but there has been this image kind of going around uh magic forever of just like a full text uh basic land that has all the judge ruling words on it that are it's kind of like 22 lines i think of text that just yeah, says like it's super type and describes what that means yeah and it like ta- it tells you how it taps and what a mana pool is and how mana will leave at the end of phases and all that kind of stuff so all the like kind of technical like rules lawyer stuff um, so it's kind of mana a mana does not pass priority like i don't remember what's actually on the card yeah but stuff like that um so it's uh it is pretty funny uh, just being able to see it and it's actually real and you can buy it. Uh, where yeah, before, now they've made it. Yeah, it's, so it's, these lands have no art. Mm-hmm. It's just a text box that Full describes text. everything you might ever want to know about basic lands. Yeah. I guess maybe the, the first time they, they made this up was, I think, un, uh, Unglued was the first um, Unset. And that was the first time they had full mm-hmm. art lands. Um, right. Or I guess they, there's a bit, pretty thick border on those. They're not what we know as full art, really. But yeah. Um, so this is a joke about full art lands, obviously going yeah. in the exact opposite direction. Full text. I think it's pretty. They're pretty funny. I think they're pretty funny too. <laughs> I don't know if I would use them, and I definitely don't know if I'd spend money to get, you know, one of each of them. <laughs> whatever yeah. comes in that secret layer. But uh, I hope it's more than one. But if it's one of each, like most secret layers are just one of each card, right? Yeah. I I think it's each. It's like that, but you can get a bundle and get a 10 of them for a lot of money. I don't know. Um, I have seen that the foiling treatment on that is actually pretty interesting because the foil has, like, the mana symbol. <laughs> they really... put it in foil. Yeah, but but the the mana symbol <laughs> no art. where normally it would be is, like, foiled. So when you look at it, you can see, like, the, the forced symbol in the foil. Gotcha. So that looks mm. kind of cool. And that's, like, the reason you would get foil. you got to do something because the reason people get foils is for the art to it see makes it in the foil. Or, you know, all the words are kind of <laughs> popping out. It's like etched, gold etched words. Get your words. 3D glasses. Yeah. Anyway, um, those are not things that happen on Arena. But if they happen to give us that as, like, an alternate art or something, or just a regular basic land you could use, that'd be pretty sweet. Because um, I only need one of those to fill my whole deck, which would be great. 
Um, yeah, but uh, besides that, it just felt very uneventful, which was great. I was it was it was too uneventful. You know, it's it's got to be the calm before the storm. You know, I expect I'm... a Twitter eruption next week over yeah over something. So so there it's is that. Peaceful. I mean, like, there's a league weekend. That, it doesn't really matter. We'll, we'll, we'll get some stuff. But after having, like, just weeks and weeks and weeks of spoilers or new cards or new things coming out and all, blah, you know, just a barrage, it was nice to have a chill week. Um, so with that, how was your week? How'd your arena week go? Uh, it went great, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, over, the, over the weekend, I played in a tournament. This was the historic 5K that was run by Insight Esports. Ooh, very cool. Uh, which I almost didn't even play in. Uh, I was debating between that or the SCG satellite, which was also at 1 p.m., but I felt like I wanted to play Historic, so then I went for the Historic one. Um, Even though I hadn't played much Historic beforehand, so I can do a super quick tournament report. I I ended up playing Jeskai Control. Okay. And the reason, there was a a few reasons, but um, I felt like a lot of people would bring, bring Gruul because... Everyone was kind of messing around with these weird strategies that are a bit dirtily. So I felt like a lot of people would bring Gruul to try to prey on the people who didn't know what they were doing. And uh, you know what beats the crap out of Gruul? One of my all-time favorites, Lightning Helix. So <laughs> Yay! I wanted to play 4X Lightning Helix, and I wanted to find the deck that did that the best. And the other reason that I picked Jeskai Control was that uh, if you don't know that much about what's going on in a format... I like playing control because it tends to play the same way in every format. Like, if you're the at the controllingest end of the spectrum, the types of decisions you have to make are the same regardless of what other people are playing. You know, against aggro, you have to survive to, to turn the game around, so on and so forth. So I felt like it would be easiest to pilot a control deck given that I don't know the intricacies of the metagame. Um, All right. I think that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it made sense to me, so I just went for it. And then this deck that I played has Gear Hulk plus Magma Opus as its win con, which I really like because it. Uh, part of the problem with historic control decks in the past has been they don't close the game fast enough, and because the other control decks are so, or the other decks in the format are so resilient, sometimes you'll like wipe the board, untap, and have five cards in hand and still not win, <laughs> you know. So yeah. I like to just be able to really turn the corner and put the game out of reach for your opponent before they start drawing two collected companies in a row or, or something, or something like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I'm the one that gets their board wiped and then fills the the field the next turn. Or, you right. know, <laughs> all the cards came back and they have to have two wipes in a row or something. So Right. Now, um, if it's like board wipe into Gear Hulk getting back Magma Opus the following turn, there's pretty much no coming back. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, so, awesome. Yeah, so... I, I, I want to just say that I got my list from Star City Games. Shaheen Sarani posted it. Mm. And there were two... Th- I thought I was going to have to take a list and then change it because there were two things I was adamant about if I was going to play Jeskai. One was I was not going to play Brainstorm. And the second one was uh, I really wanted to play Doomscar. Okay. So I wanted, I wanted no Brainstorm because uh, I just don't think it belongs in the deck. And I see people complaining like, oh, this deck's no good because it's hard, so hard to cast Anger of the Gods on turn three. And I'm like, yeah, the reason is because you're playing Fabled Passage, so your mana base is garbage, and you're only playing Fabled Passage to make Brainstorm not bad. So just don't play Brainstorm. Yeah. <laughs> like, is, that seems like the obvious solution. But people like, 
are so into brainstorm that that doesn't even register to them. Yeah, like that's you know, to, well, I'm playing to blue. cut the brainstorm so that their mana can get much yeah, better. Yeah, I have to do that. Uh, Very interesting. I like that. And then Doomscar, I really think you need because in this format in particular, a lot of the aggro decks run Collected Company. So a turn four, Wrath of God, is just going to get hit by End Step Coco. So it's like you really need that turn three Wrath. And so that's why I played one Anger and two Doomscar, and then one Wrath of God. Interesting. Uh, but then when I was reading that article, Shaheen said those exact things. He said, Brainstorm's not that good in the deck, and it makes the mana too bad, and Doomscar is better than Wrath of God. And he posted the list. I was like, all right, well, I guess hey, we're just running with this. There you go. <laughs> I will I will like to point out that when we were doing our Worth a Slot episode, and I said Doomscar in Historic, <laughs> and you're like, really? In yeah. Historic? You're going to play that over <laughs> Wrath of God? I'm like, it could be yeah. better. So just reminding yeah, you. I've changed, I've changed my mind. Uh, <laughs> specifically around. right now with all the Coco. Yeah, uh, but I went six and two. Hey, so, hey. yeah, that's that awesome. Good enough for fourteenth place. So six and two. Uh, I think seventh and eighth place were six and two. So yeah. I was kind of tied for seventh, but on breakers I finished fourteenth. Um, one of my losses was to Luis Salvado, <sighs> a rivals league player who ended up winning the whole tournament. Uh, hey, so, so you know, can't feel too bad about that one. Yeah. So, uh, and the other thing is like. Uh, to get into that top eight, Luis was also six and two, right? Right. Yeah. And so Luis was six and two, but had better breakers. Yeah. Partially because he beat me, and then I did well. Exactly. So, so <laughs> look at you. You see, without As you, you Luis would not be able to uh, right. win the whole thing. So I think I think that's a that's kind of a you get a yeah. nice notch or something. Um, and PV was six and two. So I got the same record as him. And then actually, when I was checking again, right below me, 15th place, was uh, Arna Hushambet. Whoa. six and two. Uh, so you might remember him from recently winning the Kaldheim Championship. Yeah. So I was in good company with the six and two uh, record, record there. Well, there you go. Hey, you can't really argue with that. That's, you know, getting the same record as some of the best players in the game. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty awesome. I like I mean, that's that's so cool. It makes me want to play in one yeah. of those Insight uh, esports things that I've been seeing. They're a lot of fun. I highly rec recommend cool. it. Yeah. Um, and Historic was just a lot of fun. I played against a lot of different decks. Yeah. I did play against Gruul two or three times, so I'm happy that I went with nice. uh, Lightning Helix because that really, really gets some <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I haven't actually been playing a ton of Constructed. I was playing a lot of uh, Draft still. It's just, I, I still, right. every time I open up uh, the client, I'm like, oh, do I have enough gold? Oh, I do. Okay, I'm going to draft. Maybe I'll have enough to keep drafting and I just keep doing that over and over again. So, well, hey, um, the arena opens coming up in a couple of weeks. I know. Getting excited for that. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, uh, I think it's time to unveil the meat of the episode and something yes. we've wanted to talk about for a while. So this is how to brew in, in, right. in two two. Two meanings of the word. Yes. <laughs> if you haven't <laughs> uh, thought about it. Um, so basically, Jeff, why did we want to have this episode in the first place? Uh, well, I've always enjoyed brewing decks. For me, it's one of the most fun parts of magic. Um, and so, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. I don't know if I'm the best brewer in the world, but I would like to talk a little bit about how I go about it. Because uh, I've talked to people about it too, and, and you know, some people just, I think, have different expectations about how it works. They think they'll just slap something together and immediately take on the tier one decks with no problem, right? 
which is unfortunately not really the reality of yeah. the situation. And, and as a podcast, we, we harp a lot about net decking um, and how that isn't a terrible thing. And you should definitely use that. It's a tool in your wheelhouse. Do not be afraid of that. Um, right. And also we've talked about how, um, as this thing goes by, um, <laughs> we have talked about how important it is to actually be a good player and know how to play your deck very well, whether you built it or you got it offline or whatever, and that you, it's not just the deck that you play, it's also how you play. However, now we finally want to sit down. We haven't done this before, but we want to talk about how to actually make a deck. Yeah, from from scratch or otherwise. Yeah. Um, and when I was kind of sitting down and trying to synthesize, you know, it into an actual step by step process of sorts, I realized that a lot of the steps could easily kind of overlap with how you actually make real beer. So we thought it'd be fun to kind of give the, you know give the steps to brewing magic in terms of how you would brew beer. Exactly. Uh, so we have boiled this down, <laughs> boiled, oh. uh, into uh, <laughs> six neat little uh, handy steps. <clears throat> um, but before we start this, um, this is also a fun thing. It, it was just a great way of talking about your new deck, right? Right. Uh, you could... You, if someone's asking you like, oh, where are you with that deck you were building? You will now, after you listen to this, have a specific place. You could be like one, two, three, or four, or five, or six. That's not that fun. We have some fun names for that. Uh, so you'd be like, oh, it's this, which, well, you'll learn soon. So uh, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> but uh, let's just start right off at the beginning um, with the first step, which would be the recipe. So in this phase, basically, what is the deck? What's your idea? You know, um, and this could be anything, right? So maybe you just really like a specific card from the new set. You want to try to find a deck that optimizes, makes the best use of that card because you think it's very powerful or whatever. Or you've realized there's a, a synergy between two or three different cards and you really want to build that out into a deck, right? Whatever, whatever you want. The one thing I will say, though, is that I think the most important part is to actually have a reason that you're building this deck. Like, a lot, I know a lot of people that'll be like, oh, I'm just going to build Mardu mid-range or whatever and go in and build Mardu mid-range. And that's okay, but I think you should, if you're honest about the reason you're building the deck, it'll make the stuff that's going to come later uh, more palatable, I think. Yeah. So your reason can be this just seems fun to me, or I just like this color combo, and I want to see what the best deck I can make in that color combo. I'm not saying that you have to sit down and be like, oh, I'm going to build a deck that hard counters Gruel Adventures because I think that's going to be over 40% of the metagame at an upcoming event. And blah, blah, that's blah. That's my yeah. reason. That's a reason, too, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but your reason doesn't have to be that uh, analytical. It can just be this seems fun, I really like this, or this card is awesome, I want to play with this card. Exactly. Or even just, I have this card. I opened four of this rare or mythic rare, and I want to build a deck around that yeah. because I have it. It could be like, hey, I played the uh, the sealed event, and these were the rares I opened, and man, I thought that deck was really fun, I did well with it. Um, I want to see if I can make that in standard, kind of. Yeah, exactly. The main Anything, point right? is just being specific and knowing why you're doing it. Um, just so your kind of expectations are in line with what you're hoping to achieve. 
Um, That's actually a really good point that you just brought up as a good reason, and it's one that affects me a lot, is when I know a deck has been successful in another format, and I'm starting to see similar pieces come in. Like, Historic is the perfect breeding ground for this, where I know there are decks in the past in Standard that were really good, and that set just got added to Historic, so I'm excited to try that deck. Or I know there's a deck in Modern that's really good, and as cards get added into Historic, it looks like that deck might be coming together yeah. in Historic. Or that strategy or something, and it's like the first... A similar... Yeah, sometimes, yeah, like philosophy. like literally with you, and you were talking about last episode, seeing Stone Rain is a Mystical Archive card, and you're like, right. oh, sick, I could play this deck for Modern, let's see if I can. And then you, you know... Exactly. Work on yeah. that. That's that's a really common reason for me personally that comes up a lot because, uh, par- partially because I was playing, I've been playing for a while, so I've played in a lot of these standard past standards, uh, and it's just cool when you remember, oh, that deck was awesome. Let's see if I can build some anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so yeah, it just means that like, we don't want you to go into this thinking this is how you build the best deck. This is just how you mm-hmm. build a deck. And decks, and that like there are probably more steps than you would originally um, think about. Because a lot of times your your idea tends to be the entire thing. Like it's your idea, and then you take yeah, a pass, slap it together, you know, and then and see what happens. Um, and then you're like, well, that didn't work, or whatever. And you're like, well, mm-hmm. there could be some other things that you need to do <laughs> before yeah, you exactly. abandon it or not. Um, but the, I do think the first thing, just like starting out knowing what your objective is, is good. Because maybe your objective sure. is just, I like playing um, blue-black. And so I'm going to make some blue-black deck and have exactly. fun. You know? Yeah. And what you should understand, and you can still try to play as, make it as good as you can and take it to competitive events. I used to do that all the time when I couldn't afford, you know, tier one standard decks. Um, but you do have to understand that by kind of saying, oh, I just like this color pair, or I just like this card, you are putting yourself at a, at a bit of a disadvantage because other players are just taking whatever deck they think is best, using any cards, and not restricting themselves by color pair or by card. So if you admit to yourself, hey, the, here's the reason I'm doing it, I can't afford a tier one deck, or but I still want to have a good deck, or I just love playing blue-black, it'll help You know, when you start losing some games later, which will happen. It'll help you kind of just accept that that I know that I know that I'm kind of uh, an underdog at this beginning because my deck is brand new. I have to work on it, and other people are just playing Gruel Adventures. Yeah, exactly. And maybe your idea is, hey, I hate rogues so much. I'm going to build a deck that never loses to rogues. <laughs> now nobody nobody feels like that. But, uh... <laughs> but you know that that can be four Croxa, four Ox of Agonis, yeah. four Phoenix of Ash. That that can be your reason. Uh, whether you actually get to run into that deck enough that you feel like you've achieved yeah, your Every goal. time you do that, you never run into rogues mm-hmm. again. You're and like, then MTG Goldfish will tell you it's half the meta, but you still just You just never see it. See it. <laughs> um, but, you know, sometimes that's, you know, that's how I started building some of my first decks when I was a kid was, oh, well, my best friend plays Slivers, so I have to play a deck right. that kills Slivers or something. Like, that's the only thing that you're focused on is, well, my meta is my friend group and my, and this actually yeah. still happens in commander too. So like, sometimes you just build a deck that like, I hate losing to their deck. That's like that. I'm going to play anti whatever that deck is. And that's right. fun. And then you, you know, you might build that and then play with it and realize, Oh, maybe uh, that's not <laughs> the way I should be building decks, but um, you can still do it. You know, it still works. And yeah. then when you you know, eventually abandon it, you're like, well, it did what it was supposed to do. That was really fun. And I can move on to new things now. 
Um, yeah. I did want to point so, out r real quick that um, if you are building something, quote unquote, from scratch, it doesn't have to necessarily be from scratch. And we had touched on this right. just saying, oh, hey, uh, if there's a deck you used to like and some of the pieces are in historic or something, you can try to put that back together. Um, but it also relates to looking things up online and for sure researching things. So like, yeah. Jeff, when you were making your beer, you just you you just uh, picked up some some things that you had laying around, right? That you just like found at the grocery store and you just kind of threw it together and and uh, you saw what, you, what came out. Is that no, Accurate? no, that's not correct. <laughs> no, I didn't just go to a big grain store and be like, mm, eh, ooh, let's see, uh, six pounds of that, mm -hmm. uh, one pound. Of, no, I, I looked up how other people's red amber ale recipes have looked um, and to get a good idea of how much of each ingredient approximately. And, and we called this the recipe, right? And this is how I use any recipe. If I want to make cook something for dinner that I haven't made before, or I've only made once or twice, I look up four or five different recipes for that thing. I, from that, I can see what's the ingredient that's in all of them and what are things that are specific to the cook's taste. And so then from that, I know my recipe has to have these core things going on and I can adjust these other things, right? So it's the same thing here, you know? You can just look up to see if anyone else has built a deck like this before. There's nothing wrong with that. And when you're looking over their list, you can find the stuff that you like about it and the stuff that you don't like about it. And after you look at a few different lists, then you'll have a good idea of how to start your shell. And what, ha what the great thing that happens is you'll just see a card that you didn't think of. This happens every time because there are thousands of magic cards. You can't possibly think of every one that's going to be good in a specific archetype, you know? So... Uh, that's what I I would actually recommend you all pretty much always do this rather than like you can just throw it together on arena and try to learn from it totally on your own that that's also fine but I'd say eventually I would think you would want to look up a few different deck lists of what other people are doing with the archetype to get some ideas yeah and it doesn't mean like just because a deck list is online doesn't mean it's the best way to make that deck right you can still have an input into it and you taking it and putting your own spin on it, or maybe you added a color that wasn't there before that you thought would be interesting, or whatever you, you figured out or realized that, oh, I could do it this way, um, that's also viable. And then you could take that list eventually, once we go through these steps, post it online, and then maybe somebody else will be inspired to do something. So I, I think the stigma behind you know, find, ever looking at a deck list online Sometimes it feels like, oh, your virgin eyes have seen the cards and now you could never brew that because... You... <laughs> now you are not honorable. Yeah, or, or, something. or something. It just seems so, I don't know, old school, weird. I don't know what that is, but um, but use it to your advantage. I mean, sometimes right. you, you'll, you'll find new stuff. Maybe they didn't see stuff that you see, right? It's not like you find something online that means it's a brick and mortar. It's done. Uh, there's always room to grow. Um, so that's what I have to yeah. say about that. <laughs> it's just like, it's like talking to people about the deck, right? Yeah. say, oh, have you tried this card? You're like, no, I didn't think of that. Right? That's happened to all of us, mm -hmm. right? This is like doing that. It's just that you're kind of, instead of having a conversation with them, you're looking at their list and say, oh, they're basically saying, here are the cards I like for the deck. Have you considered them? Yeah, And you exactly. might find one or two that you're like, no, I didn't think of that. That sounds great. So... Um, research, a big important part about having an idea for your deck, I would say. Um, 
Though, before we get to the next step, something that's extremely important to do uh, that I always forget to do, or maybe I, I just always prepare myself this way. I don't know which, which one it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you had wrote, written down that like an important part of brewing beer is to sanitize everything and yes. make sure everything's clean. Um, right. Yeah, that's one of the most important things is just making sure uh, yeah, everything is, is sanitized mm -hmm. uh, before you use anything. And while you're going through, you'll be constantly sanitizing uh, any new exactly because you don't want mold to grow you don't want any bad funky stuff to start poking its head out of different places you'll even just get off flavors if you don't just like weird things you you'll get a bad taste yeah. in your mouth is what you'll get exactly and so how does this relate to brewing magic cards jeff well i was thinking that uh so the sanitize everything step is about getting ready for what's to come okay so you want to i usually have a big bucket that i fill with sanitized water um like sanitized solution watered down. And then I put all of my thing, everything I'm going to use in that big bucket. And I'm going to use the bucket too. So this is a way to sanitize everything at the same time. So it's just so that when I'm actually brewing, I don't have to, oh crap, I need this spoon. It's not sanitized. I have to sanitize it now. And so it's about getting ready for what's to come. And in this case, I would say that means getting mentally ready for the process of brewing. Because, well, what's going to happen when you brew a brand new deck and jump into a de uh, established metagame full of tier one decks that the hive mind and the best players in the world have worked on for months. Um, you're going to lose a lot. Yeah, you're like, going to lose a lot. A lot. When, uh, take the number of times you're going to lose that you have in your mind, whatever it is, and just, you know, double it, triple it. Just like, right. You're just be prepared to never, ever win and always lose, <laughs> yeah. basically. Because right. you're, you're going to go into this... If, if you start to think, oh, this is the best thing I've ever created, blah, blah, all this stuff, and then it's, if you get discouraged really quickly and you start to get a bad taste in your mouth, you'll kind of push away from it and you'll never work on it again and just throw it away and be like, well, that was stupid. And then you might get hard on yourself. And really, that's just... You're at the beginning stages right here. Like, you need to... Exactly. There are five more steps you got to get through before you're, you're ready. So just keep going. Yeah, just because you lost three games in a row to Gruel Adventures doesn't mean you, the idea of your deck was bad. Yeah, that's actually a good thing, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so sanitizing is just like kind of a, it's a disclaimer. It's like, hey, just don't yeah. forget. Uh, and just on, on the same yourself. note, when you lose to somebody playing a tier one deck and you're playing a brew, don't like disparage them. Don't get mad at them for, for quote unquote net decking and, and think you're playing honorably and they're playing dishonorably and, and it's their fault that you you lost because they they didn't do the right thing and build a deck from scratch or whatever. Like that attitude, I don't know where it came from, but it has to go. Yeah. Um, that feels like an old school like that attitude started in nineteen ninety three and it should yeah. it stayed there. It should stay there. Um, it should it should stay there, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it's nothing wrong with playing Gruel Adventures on the ladder. Exactly. Or and if you've had, you know, you started with your idea and you've you're prepared yourself, you that's going to happen, and you want that to happen to know what's going to what you should keep and what you shouldn't keep. Which brings us to step number two, which in the brewing process is called the mash. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we'll just go through the actual brewing process real quick. Mm -hmm. The mash is basically when you put your grains, so all the grains that I've decided, in my case it was two row and then the, the caramel malts to give it a red color. 
you basically put it into a giant cooler and then you put warm hot water not boiling but hot water in with the grains you close your cooler you hold that temperature for like an hour sometimes 90 minutes um, sometimes even a bit more than that so you're basically steeping all the grains in a hot liquid like you would a, a tea or something what this does is it extracts the sugars out of the grains and into the water and the plan is that water that i, I usually call it sweet barley water is now what's going to become your beer and the grains will be discarded mm -hmm. uh so in magic terms this is basically like uh that moment when you're like you had the idea you did your research and now you have gotten into arena and you're just throwing cards together you're like all right yeah. this is my main idea uh i still need 45 more cards okay well i'm gonna add some <laughs> of these and then i you know maybe some of these numbers are weird oh i would want four of these but i only have two so i'll, I'll do two and then there's going to be a replacement yeah. card and you know you're just kind of throwing things together to look good. And this also says sacrifice a creature, so I'm going to throw that in here. That that says make extra creatures, throw that, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's your mash. You're just mashing things together <laughs> and just trying to, to exactly. get some semblance of uh, a deck, some sort of base, right, is what you're working yeah. on. Yeah, and this is where you, you have a bunch of one-ofs because you don't know which cards are good and which cards are bad yet. You have, you know... Um, your mana base might be a bit sketchy at this point. Uh, yeah. You know. Well, as far as numbers go, hopefully you have the, the mana base because that, you know, eventually you're yeah. going to have to get those. But You're uh, not playing 12 Forest, 5 Mountain, and, and 7 Islands or anything. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> or just like, you're not just playing like Lifelands or, or, or something like that. But Because um, we would advocate that you always use your wild cards for your lands first. But... Um, but, but I would say at this stage, don't use a wild card on a rare land because it for this deck you know if you only have three triumphs just yeah, go with just, three for now and, and these specific base. numbers on the mana base won't matter that much exactly yet, sorry what i was what i meant to say is that i would hope you'd already have those lands from just yeah yeah me, <laughs> me too <laughs> um but anyway this is kind of the the time when you're you know every, this is a lot of the times the only step people take when they're building a deck and that was we're trying to like break people out of is that you throw your idea together it has some kind of shamblings of a deck and then you test it out. You're like, all right, let's just go. And then that is the moment where you're like, oh, it sucks. And you just discard it and, and get rid of it forever. This is, we don't want you to do that. <laughs> so what you've written here is, is in this stage, this is where you figure out which cards are the sugars that you're going to keep in your final beer and which is the spent grain to be discarded. Yes. Right? To, um, to tie it all together. Exactly. So we're looking for the sugars. And the sugars is probably your engine if you have some sort of, you know, the, it's the main reason you built the deck, right? The soul, the core of like, I like this card and it works with this card. All right, I know those are sugars. What other cards I added are also sugars that I want to keep and which are the grains I want to discard. Um, right. It is important to note, this is a time when you don't, don't have a sideboard. Don't think about your sideboard. That's right, yeah. I mean, if you have like a black deck, I'll just slap four duress in the sideboard because I know that my whatever removal spells I have are going to have to come out against Sultai and, and Duress is good. Um, or I'll put some generic Graveyard Hate or like... But I won't really build a sideboard. I'll just put cards that I know are tend yeah. to be pretty good in these colors. Oh, I'm playing blue. I'll put Mystical Dispute yeah. in the sideboard. Your, your sideboard ends up being like, you know, eight cards or something random. Just like, oh, it's yeah, just four yeah. copies of whatever. Um, and it's not that well thought out because you don't know what cards you need yet. Yeah, so. and you don't know what cards you don't want in your deck and all that kind of stuff. 
yeah, so the important part here is that you, you put that all together and now you're playing games. Okay, you're mm-hmm. getting out into the wild, you're jumping on the ladder, you have the world's sketchiest sideboard. Sometimes I play with no sideboard at all. Um, and then you're just seeing what happens. You're not, you're not trying to win necessarily. Obviously, you are trying to win. But you should expect, this is what we were talking about, in this stage, you should expect to lose quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But you're trying to figure out what are the card interactions that I have here that are strong, which ones are not as good as I thought they were. And actually, one thing that tends to happen a lot is, this card doesn't work the way that I thought it did. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, I definitely put this in as graveyard hate, but it doesn't do some of the things I want. I was thinking, oh, maybe this yeah. would also exile my graveyard against rogues. But it actually doesn't do that. Oh, oh, whoops. You're talking about Soul Guide Lantern. <laughs> I sure am. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, sometimes, you know, that just happens, especially when there's a new set and you want to brew with some of the cards. You're like, oh, sweet. Throw that in the deck. You're like, oh, I didn't yeah. realize how... It, like, recently, I was really um, loving Elite Spellbinder. So I'm like, sweet, I just want to play this card as much as possible. And then I also liked Strict Proctor. I was like, oh, sweet, this card's cool too, blah, blah, blah. And then when you play them together, you're like, oh, shit. I tax nope. my own ETBs, and so it turns right. off all, almost the rest of my deck by playing this, and then I have to side out all this other stuff. I was like, okay, this is kind of frustrating. Maybe these cards don't work as well together as I was hoping. Um, maybe I just... Yeah, it's a good example, because on the surface, they're both tax white taxing creatures. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, oh, I could play like a white style, uh, you know, death and taxes style deck, but then you're like, wait a minute. This strict proctor stops PV's... ETB. So then I'm just playing that a three mana three one flyer. That that's not what I want it for. And then you're like, okay, so maybe I just don't play with these cards together. Maybe they're different strategies. And then or ones in the sideboard yeah. or something. And then yeah. once you know you play with it once and you make the mistake and you're like, whoops. But then usually yeah. I continue. You know, the point of that game wasn't to win. So after I make that mistake, right. I just emote oops, and then I keep playing the game because. I learned something new. Sure, that you're, was, gonna, you're gonna learn more. I, I I learned something new about that card, and I made note of that. And then I continue to play to see if you know if I can make as many mistakes as possible that are just card based. Like, oh, that was supposed to do this. My bad, or any of that stuff. That's what I'm looking for. You know, exactly. This is supposed to happen right now. So uh, you know, big thumbs up if I make a mistake and I can make a note of it and be like, okay, I should have done this instead, or this card should be replaced with anything else. Just any other card would be better than this right. one. Right, and, and often you'll have you'll have, have so many cards that you wanted to try that some of them didn't have room or you could only play one of them. You'll say, well, now that I have this free space from the two strict proctors that I'm getting out of here, let's try out those other cards. Exactly. So, And I remember one time watching Reed Duke streaming, and I'm sorry to bring a non-arena thing into this, but he was brewing in Modern. Mm-hmm. And he was brewing like some sort of green black mid range deck as he's known to known to do from time to time, uh, and I remember one of the chatters had the question like why do you only have two Tarmogoyfs in this list, and he said, um, well I know how good Tarmogoyf is, I know what Tarmogoyf does, and I know that in the end it's going to be a four of in my deck, but in these games I want to figure out what other cards are good, so I'm only going to have two of them, because I don't want to just beat my opponent down with Tarmogoyfs because I know that angle of the deck. I want to test out other cards. I want to draw my other cards that I'm testing more often and so on and so forth. I was like, oh, that that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So then then somebody asked, why do you have Tarmogoyf in the deck at all? For for those of you who don't know, Tarmogoyf is just a two-drop that is very big. That's basically Mm -hmm. 
so why do you have Tarmogoyf in the deck at all then? You could test more cards without Tarmogoyf. And then he said, well, if I test cards without a deck card that I know is going to be a big part of the final deck, there might be an interaction that I miss. There might be something that exiles my graveyard that I think is great, and then I forget that that makes my Tarmogoyf a 0-1, and so those cards don't play together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's just that's exactly the kind of thing you should be doing right now is in this process. And, you know, it's reduke approved, so... Yeah, that's that's great. I had not heard that before. I like that quite a bit because um, I haven't even thought about that angle of just like, hey, this card that I love that I'm definitely going to have in the deck, I'll just play less of it so that I can see what the other cards do. Yeah, that's that, one, that one I know is four of mm-hmm. at the end. That's fine. Um, but I have to play some amount of it. Otherwise, I'll miss interactions between the new cards and the, yeah. the old cards. So maybe that's part of your adventure package if you happen to be brewing around that. Sure. Um, yeah. You're like, hey, I know the adventure package is what it does. I'm going to take a couple of those cards out. I don't need to have four Love Struck Beasts. I'll have less or Bone Crushers or whatever and see what mm-hmm. some other cards could do instead. I, uh, I like that quite a bit. That's good. Yeah. So I have a few decks in here. I wanted to like furnish examples, but I, I have so many decks in the recipe phase currently that I couldn't list, possibly list them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I have a couple of decks that I consider to be in the mash. One I actually brewed since I played Jeskai Control and Historic over the weekend. I just started thinking to myself, couldn't I play this in standard? Like we have Prismari Command, which is a great card. Magma Opus and um, Alrun's Piffney at the top end. Uh, and let's just, you know, see if we can make a Jeskai control deck built around that. So I built that, and that deck is literally just 2-0 right now. I don't know how I managed to win those games, uh, but I did. They were very close. I'm just, like, having a lot of fun with it, but, hey, it's, it's round two. I have a ton of one-ofs. Mm-hmm. And in my last game, I just realized Rowan and Will is awesome in the deck and i probably want more than one copy so when i next go into it i'm going to find whatever card would impress me the least and replace it with another copy of roan and will um, because hey they make your all runs epiphany and magma opus more attainable yeah that's awesome that sounds fun too it, it's pretty sweet i'm going to keep uh, testing it out i really like narset of the hidden and or ancient way i can't remember mm-hmm. um because she like discards things and deals damage equal to their uh, mana value. Yeah. So when you have Magma Opus and uh, Alrun's Epiphany, you can you can take out pretty much anything. Love that. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it also is just important to note during the mash phase that um, you know if you're if you do big overhauls or something of the deck, you're just basically starting over. So that's totally fine if you do that. But know that like within each game, you can like. Make a note of that. Go in, change it, come back out, play another match. You know, play that match, you find something else. Go out, yeah, change something. Yeah, I think you should be changing constantly. constantly. Because, hey, if you take something out, you can always bring it back in. Yeah. <laughs> and even, like, because I can get stuck in the loop of just, like, I'm just going to play this deck. I'm just trying to jam games because I just want to jam games. And then I, like, mm-hmm. you know, have played the same deck for, you know, uh, almost two, like, two or three days or almost a week. I'm like, oh, I should... There were cards I wanted to change. I just never do. And every time I look at my sideboard, I'm like, oh, I don't want this card. Why do I have this card? Or, oh, that was a replacement for something. I don't have the other copies of something. Even if I, like, net deck something, and I'm like, oh, well, I don't want to actually spend the wild cards on all of those mythics, so I'm just going to not do that card. And I threw in some random ones. And then I have been playing with that deck for two weeks. I'm like, oh, my God. I I should not be playing this card at all. Like, I... So just make a practice of, like, when you play a game and you go back to your home screen, just, like, click on your decks and, like, go into your deck and look at it. Just, like, 
try yeah, to get that so many times that i i'm in the next match I'm like right i wanted to yeah. change and before you can hit the cancel button it just matches you i'm like okay well of course here's another like time. 30 45 <laughs> minutes so and then you just kind of forget yeah. what you're gonna do and yeah so just get used to just going to just clicking on your deck and looking at it uh in between matches because i think that will really help you get the wheels turning and churn it you'll, yeah you'll remember yeah for sure um, and the only other thing I wanted to mention in this stage is that we've been kind of harping on how a lot of people just slap a dick together, go in, lose a few games, and then call it quits. I want to emphasize that that's also okay if, for example, you thought there was some combo that just doesn't work. Like, yeah. don't think you have to now, oh, now I got to try and do what they told me and like go through this next step. Like, some decks, you know, it can even be, oh, I played a few games and I had no fun at all. I did mm -hmm. not enjoy my own deck. I don't want to continue with this. Yeah. That is fine, right? But, uh, you know, if you're doing that on every single deck you build, then maybe there's a sort of... Pattern. It's in your head. Something's going on in your head yeah. that you just don't... Yeah, you're not prepared for the losing that's going to happen in this stage. Make sure it's not just because you're losing to Tier 1 decks that you're uh, giving up on it. Yeah. There should be some sort of external reason. It wasn't as fun as I thought. Yeah, this combo didn't work the way I thought. Yeah, it's like, oh, that play pattern is actually more awkward. I thought it would lead really well into each other, but it's not, yeah. it doesn't. I, I do this all the time. Mm -hmm. I brew a deck, and then I'm like, ooh, that doesn't actually really work. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, ah, let's get let's get away from that. So, um, which is great. Uh, just don't keep playing that deck forever if you know that it's not very good and you need to work on it, but just don't change, like, yeah. don't keep playing it and not changing it. Like, Keep an active brain yeah. and try to try to find the pieces and keep working is what we're, we're mainly focusing on. Uh, which leads us into the third stage or step of the brewing process of how to brew. Yeah. Uh, this is the loudering step. Mm -hmm. So, all right, so what is this when it comes to beer? Yeah. So I now, I open my mash, which you'll remember is steeping the grains in hot liquid after an hour or so. Now it's time to get rid of the grains and get, get that sweet barley water that I want to turn into beer. Um, of course, you could just strain it somehow, right? You could just pour it through some sort of giant strainer into a big pot, and you'll have your, your water, and then you can get rid of your grains. If you do that, though, you're leaving a lot of sugar in the grains. So the, mash, the, the steeping process, the mash, did not get out all of the sugars. And so if you do this and you want to hit a certain final alcohol percentage because that has to do with how much sugars you extract you're going to spend money on a lot more grains than you need so the loudering process loudering technically just means getting that water out of the grains but there's various things you can do to extract more sugar out of the grains on the way so this involves basically it's kind of cool you basically pour the beer over the grains again you use the grains will have solidified kind of on top into something called a grain bed and then you'll use that to filter the beer by recirculating it around and then you'll see it get less cloudy as you do this then once it's nice and clear you take your first portion that's called the first runnings and this is basically the body the main portion of your beer you have your first runnings it's you know a few gallons or whatever of really concentrated sweet barley water that's going to make most of what your beer is then you run more hot water through the the wet grains and these will travel through the grains and pick up the excess sugars that are still left in them and you're basically going to top up this core this uh this first runnings that make the, 
the sort of core of your beer, you're going to top that up to the volume you want with this hot water running through the grains that picks up the extra sugars. Nice, because everyone knows that we want to have as much sugar as possible because then that turns into alcohol and having high alcohol content is good, good, good. Um, It's called sparging, by the way, when you run the the hot water through the grains. Um, But the whole process we were talking about is loudering, which is what we are naming Mm -hmm. this third step. Um, And so as far as like building decks go, what is the loudering process then? So in the loudering process is when I feel like I have my first runnings. So the core of my beer or of my deck, that's really going to dictate everything. Um, so in this case, it's, you know, maybe I don't want to give a precise number of cards, but I don't know, maybe like 20 ish cards or, or 12 to 20, you know, non-land cards that are really what I consider the core of my deck. This is what makes the deck run. This is what the deck is going to be about. Um, what I have to figure out is the last sort of eight-ish, you know, like six, eight, like let's say eight, eight to ten or whatever cards that are going to be, that's when I'm running the, the water through my grains mm-hmm. and picking up that extra sweetness that I may have left behind, you know. So I have my core and I'm just adding some extra sweetness to it to try and, and really get it uh, uh, to a co- cohesive whole. Yeah. And so this stage is still focusing on the main deck, but we're starting to get closer and closer to the main deck body, like that right. 60 cards that you're going to um, you know, have in your list. That's what we're getting closer and closer to. Like if you think of the core as like a, I guess I'm holding up my hands as like it's a circle and it's slowly yeah. getting bigger <laughs> and bigger as it's like pushing against the edges of that box that's going to be your, uh, your deck. You're, you're very, very close. There's a couple of things on the sides that you're like tweaking and working, but you know your main game plan. You like it and you've been working on it and it's and you keep cycling through it, essentially. Um, yeah, so this is, I have a deck in this stage that's my teamer uh, draw two kind of deck built around, uh, it's built around Improbable Alliance right. and Teferi Hero of Dominaria. That's the one that used to be the uh, Song of Creation deck, right? Right. Yeah. And so I know my core here. It's Te- Teferi. I actually call it Teamer Teferi. It's Teferi. It's Improbable Alliance. It's Emergent. Or sorry, uh, Eureka Moment is the mm-hmm. the draw two on your opponent's turn. It also lets you ramp. That's really the reason we're playing green and is core to the deck. Um, it's Prismari Command as a way to draw two on your opponent's turn as well. And so basically that's your Teamer Control kind of shell that's going in. And it has these synergies of discard, drawing and discard. There's a lot of looting going on. And so now I'm trying to find the other cards that play well with that, mm-hmm. that are good with. So, you know, you can consider Riel, which lets you draw cards anytime you discard cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that kind of stuff, which I consider a little peripheral to the plan, but I'm trying to find the best assortment of those peripheral cards to support this, you know, maybe 16 card core 20 card core that i that i know is is the deck exactly yeah and it is important to note this is like you might have a little bit more of your sideboard but we're still not there yet we're not talking so much about your sideboard so um once again uh if it's like two things in a row just kind of forget about it we're not we're not focused on that um yeah but it's the main work on the body of that uh that main deck and, and you're starting to figure out, okay, maybe I want five removal spells in my main deck or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
you're starting to do number things. Your mana base is getting really solid because now you're starting to know all the different color pips that you're going to have. So now you can create your mana base. Exactly. Now that you know your core, you can create the mana base a lot better. The reason I don't recommend working too hard on the mana base in the mash is a lot of the, the ideas that a lot of cards are cycling in and out and changing and your color requirements are changing as you do that. Mm -hmm. So, so you, um, you don't want to have to change your mana base completely every time you add some new stuff. Yeah. Obviously, if you add a new color, that will change. But um, And in the mash, you probably don't even know how many lands you want. Like, you'll play a bunch of games where you keep getting mana screwed, but I'll throw in another land, mm -hmm. you know, and you'll find that sweet spot. Okay, I like 27. Yeah. So once we get out of that phase, then you know you're loudering when you're like, okay, my mana base feels pretty solid. I'm not moving as many cards around. It's kind of just more a numbers game. That's what I'm working on a bit more. Um, maybe there's something that you missed originally or you're going back to that you had seen in the mash phase and you're like, okay, actually one copy of this card would be good in the main deck for this reason or whatever. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, and just as far as building mana bases go, because I think you're, you're right, this is kind of when it happens in this phase. Um, I just wanted to mention that Frank Karsten wrote an article for Channel Fireball that you can go find. Um, it's how many colored sources do I need to consistently cast my spells on time? And so he did like a statistical analysis. Um, I think I think it in involves the london mulligan but it might be pre-london mulligan so but anyway either way it's a really good guideline and what he did is he asked some statistical analysis for okay if you want to if you want to have access to one drops like on turn one you want to have a green untapped green mana to play your one drop and you want that to happen over 95 percent of the time or 90 percent of the time he selects a cutoff that he thinks is reasonable but he gives you information to choose your own cutoff if you want he'll say you need 14 untapped green sources to play your to consistently play your green one drop mm -hmm. oh you want to play wrath of god consistently on turn four you need 18 white sources mm -hmm. you know so that's a, those are really good guidelines. Find your your uh, bottleneck points, like Wrath of God is, or if you have a like one red-red or one black-black card that you need to play on turn three, then find that, and that'll tell you, I need at least this many black sources if I want to do that consistently. Yeah, that's great. And specifically for people who aren't great at like math and statistics and probability and all that stuff, having a chart, amazing. Yeah, he, he did all the math for you, so... Yeah. Um, and, and I even use it because why should I have to use the do the math every yeah, time? Yeah, seems know? like it, once again, why would you do work that somebody else already did, right? You should just right. uh, might as well stand on top of their shoulders. It's it's just a lot better. Um, so actually, we'll probably find that article and put it in the show notes. Uh, so check that out. Yeah, I use it as a guideline, so I don't follow it like as close as possible. Sometimes I think his estimates are a bit low. I would like more more sources than he's suggesting in some cases, mm -hmm. but. Uh, that might just be a personal preference yeah. thing. Like it, it might be that he's he's pulled the numbers for hitting it ninety percent of the time, and I want to hit it more than ninety percent of the time. Exactly. Or whatever. Yeah. So use it like you use most things with a grain of salt. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's always a good idea. But it's very valuable because sometimes you're just sitting there like, ah, do I have enough black? I don't know. And Frank Carson will tell you, you have sixteen black and you need nineteen. You're like, oh, no. well, no, I don't. Yeah. But then you'll also see I have twenty two blue, and he's suggesting I have twenty blue. So okay, cut two blue sources replace for some black sources um great uh well now that we're at the halfway point of our brewing process i think it's time to brew up some more beer no we're not brewing more beer i just need to go get more well no we'll just pour some <laughs> I'll, pour, have yeah. brewed, <laughs> I'll pour some more that you already brewed because it takes too long yeah, yeah. to do it otherwise <laughs>
Um, anyway, that's our beer noises because we have growlers <laughs> of the beer of Red Beer Wins. Exactly. Yes. It's all good. <laughs> we need to, like, that needs to be like a label. We need to sell that. Um, <laughs> I can probably, design a label for it. Yeah. Yeah, you can, you can do the... You, that'll, that'll be our Patreon. <laughs> so we are going into the fourth step of our how to brew process. And this is the boil. Yeah. So when last we les- left off... We had uh, some delicious sweet barley water that we had extracted every ounce of sugar from our grains as we could. We then discarded those grains, gave them to a local farm or something, because I hear that uh, animals eat it. <clears throat> and now we have just this awesome water that's full of sugar. So what we do at this point is this is when we, we add the hops, basically. Um, or any other aromatics you might want. This is where you would add spices if you were doing that, stuff like that. Um, you bring the water to a boil. That, that boiling process is going to break down the hop, whether using flowers or pellets. Um, it's going to break it down and leave. So hops have this acid in them. And so the longer you boil a hop for, the more aroma and flavor gets boiled off and the more just acid from the hop is in your beer interesting and that acid is that bittering flavor that we all know from drinking hops bitter beer yeah Yeah. Um, that's what gives it that so the the hops that you use for bittering go in at the start and then as you get later in the let's say one hour boil you'll add stuff that you actually want to be able to smell or or taste later and later depending on how much of it you want to be bittering and how much of it you want to be aroma got it that makes sense I like that. Similar to, um, this isn't exactly the same, but like in coffee, when you're roasting, uh, the darker roast of coffee has more flavor, but less caffeine. And the lighter Mm -hmm. roast of coffee has more caffeine, but usually a lighter flavor. Um, Yeah, people are always surprised when I tell them that, but the dark roast is actually less caffeine because it tastes stronger, I guess. So people associate that with with coffee yeah caffeine but it's similar to like if you're cooking vegetables for a really long time the nutrients get cooked out of it Uh, the same thing with roasting um yeah caffeine is like a nutrient of the coffee that gets kind of roasted off similar to this where like some of the aromas from your hops will get kind of lost and you'll be left with some more acidic things um very you know hey look at all this stuff that you know means the same thing uh, but moving into uh, how that relays back to uh, talking about decks. Um, so now we're in the fourth stage and we are working on. That's my drum roll. It's pretty bad. Uh, uh, sideboard. Sideboard. So we've been talking about, hey, remember that sideboard? Forget about it for a few steps now. This is finally the time. Hey, uh, let, let's start thinking about this 15 card sideboard. Right, so I have my wort, which is my wing. That's what we call the uh, <clears throat> the final sweet barley water. The technical word for it is a wort. Mm-hmm. So now we have this, and we're trying to add stuff to bring out the characteristics in that wort that we want, whether that's some bitterness on the top or some aroma. Um, we're just trying to kind of accentuate that. And this is really where a lot of the beer kind of comes together mm-hmm. because the body of the beer is going to just kind of taste... Okay, it's going to taste like a whatever beer that you made. So if it's pale ale, you made a pale ale. But this is where you can really decide what 
the first thing people are going to notice about your beer or the you know how it's going to taste at the end of their palate it's some of the like uh the selling points it's like oh these are the yeah. fun extra words we're adding before we say ipa and all that kind of stuff and the reason i think that's so important is because your sideboard is actually much more deterministic to the success of your deck than i think most people think it's really obvious but sometimes it needs pointing out but when you play a match of magic there are at least as many sideboard games as non-sideboard games right so generally there's at least one of each but usually there's two sideboard games and only one game played with the main deck Mm -hmm. so whoever has the better sideboard is at a a huge advantage because two-thirds of the games are being played uh with those those sideboarded cards Mm -hmm. so don't skimp on the sideboard this is like being the best main deck deck in the in the format is is fine that is a good advantage because you you know you give yourself a good shot to win game one but if you're a total underdog in games two and three it's not worth that much to win game one yeah you lose the match two one it's the same as losing the match two zero exactly i mean not really there's breakers yeah but but you know what we're talking about right right Um, obviously you're you're trying to win your match and your sideboard is huge um, you mm-hmm. never want to be in a position where you're like, wow, I wish I had anything. I don't even know what I'm going to put in this. I'm just kind of screwed against this deck no matter what. Um, this is why I love green-black-based mid-range decks, because traditionally these decks are... <clears throat> excuse me. Traditionally these decks have been known to be like... They're called the 40-60 deck because they're 40% to win game one against almost anyone, but then they're 60% to win games two and three against almost anyone. Because... Their core strategy is just fine, but it's not hyper-linear or anything. So in game one, they have a chance, but they're an underdog because they're not... They're just kind of playing good cards. Mm -hmm. But their sideboard cards are so good and so varied that they become uh, a favorite in the post-board games um, against almost anyone. And that's why these decks have seen so much success over the years. Like Jund had a... Uh, you know, point in time where you could never beat it because it just had such good sideboard cards. Yeah. Um, so now, like, just knowing that, like, it's really easy to go in thinking, oh, sideboard's just like, uh, you know, it's kind of there. Um, but no, it's actually extremely important. And these are um, the ways that you beat, cert- depending on what deck you're up against. Obviously, you would want to technically build your deck differently. So that's kind of where it came from, where it's like, well, I would add this card, but I it's not good against any deck besides this one deck. So that's why I want it in my sideboard or whatever. And kind of why they were built originally in the first place. Why you have a 15-card sideboard. It's not mm-hmm. just like... It, it wasn't just a random rule that they decided to have. Like, there's a reason you have it. And there's a reason it's that many cards. Yeah. And all of those things. And that's kind of a good lead-in to one of the main things I wanted to talk about here. Is that um, so many times when I see people build sideboards... They literally just jam their sideboard full of cards that are known to be good sideboard cards. You know, it's like we're playing black, we play duress in our sideboard. Uh, We play some soul guide lanterns for graveyard hate. We play a couple extra eliminates to fight off aggro. Uh, Maybe we play a a sweeper or two, depending on what kind of deck we're playing. And that's, I think, a fine way to build your sideboard for the mash when you're just testing stuff and you don't really know um, what's going on with your deck yet but that is not really how you should be building a sideboard um here's what i recommend as the first step what you want to do is let's just get out a piece of paper 
and let's write out the five, what you consider to be the five top decks in the format. What are most people going to be playing? So if I had to say it right now for standard, let's say, I would say the top five decks in no particular order, the order doesn't matter that much, um, are Sultimatum, Demir Rogues, and then the next three are all Adventures decks, I think. So let's say Teamer Adventures, Gruel Adventures, and Naya Adventures. But, wow. I mean, Not even giving any love to Red Deck wins or... I don't think, I don't think Red Deck wins. Or Cycling? Wow. I'm, but, I don't know how... But I, okay, you, you, can, you should include those as well because the Adventures cores are similar. Yes. Um, so. so maybe... Add... So, and five, five was just a number I said. Yeah, exactly. But all the decks you actually expect to run into. Ex- yeah, of course. And then you look at your main deck, and let's say next to Sultimatum, I just want to start writing down the cards that are in my main deck that are bad, that are bad cards against Sultimatum. This is your Eliminate, um, this is your like Essence Scatter type stats, only okay. Basically, creature removal is going to in general be quite bad against Sultimatum. Or anything that's an expensive permanent that's just going to get cleaned up really advantageously by binding the old gods. Like These are the types of cards that are bad. Okay, so write out all the cards you have that are bad and do this for each matchup. Now, your puzzle when you're building the sideboard is to be able to replace every single one of these bad cards with something that is at least passable in the matchup, but hopefully good. So I'm going to have five or six bad cards against Sultimatum. Maybe I'm a little better against Adventures. I only have four bad cards against Adventures. Uh, probably going to have five cards that are too slow to keep up with mono red, you know? So it doesn't add up to 15. It usually adds up to more than 15. So this is why it's a puzzle. You have to figure out, okay, what cards pull double duty? What's good against red and is oh, at least pretty good against Sultimatum or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, probably not that because those are polar opposite decks. Exactly. But that kind of thing. Um, but basically knowing uh, and having a plan. So when you go to sideboard, it's not you're not trying to invent it at that moment. You've already made a plan. Right. Like when I play against Sultimatum, I know what my sideboard plan is. Um, another mm-hmm. way you can look at it besides looking at your deck and seeing which ones, what, you know, six cards or whatever are bad for your deck, you can also make it so that when you build your deck or you're uh, looking at your deck builder on Arena, you can have five different versions of that deck, right? You have, this is the version for that I would play. If I could only play this version of this deck against like Sultimatum in like a best of one, this is the deck I would pick, right? Oh, this is the deck I would play against Rogues. This is the deck I would play against Mono Red. This is the deck I would play against Adventures or whatever. And then seeing the similarities and start to try to make as many of those cards that are like the fringe bits, the same cards, and then find that, oh, these are the 15 that I can use, and then go that way. It, 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 you know, trying both right. of those kinds of techniques, it's the same thing, but it maybe you're more of a visual learner that needs to have a separate thing separated sure, like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it is the idea that like when you go into a matchup, you already know what you, what's the dead card in your deck. Maybe the disdainful stroke is the thing that you're like, great. This, this card's useless in my main deck, but it's it, or it's useless in this matchup, but I have a one of in my main deck for the matchup that's not great that I really need it for. And, mm. you know, you'll see this with pros have this all the time. Like in, uh, yeah. I, I think in uh, the 
what what was that chance championship? It was uh, at the beginning of Zendikar Rising, and I can't remember who it was. It might be some player in the top eight, but they basically like held up their disdainful stroke and was like flashing around being like this is the dead card i can't play this against anything in their deck because they're playing yeah. Luris. it's like there are zero cards i, I can't <laughs> this card's useless by design you mm-hmm. know their deck is exactly not going up to four mana um so that's kind of like uh those kinds of things but like you obviously these are kind of decisions that you're making and that you know you might have some dead cards in your main deck to certain matchups maybe just one matchup but you mm-hmm. know that you have a better chance beating this other matchup that's much worse if you put it in your main deck. All those kinds of things. Um, right. And obviously your main deck we've already talked about in the last section. And this is what makes constructing a sideboard so interesting because what you'll find is that it's not possible to... It's not possible. There, you know, you're going to have seven or eight decks. You're going to have five to six bad cards in each matchup. You only have 15 cards. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do your best... Uh, but sometimes you might just have to sacrifice a matchup too and hope that you don't people see aren't playing that. Yeah. Just yeah. be like, hey, okay, I, I, I'm just betting. I, this matchup isn't – I'm just crossing my fingers. I don't get matched up against it, and I doubt that many people are going to play it. Um, so my deck would be – if my deck would be like just like infinitely better if I just forgot about that matchup altogether, maybe I'd do that. And free up all the slots for the decks I actually need to work on and just say, hey, if I get matched up against that, that's a loss. And that was just, it just sucks. And that happens. Yeah. And I, I think I would go so far as to say if the format is good and healthy, that will happen. That should happen. To mm-hmm. you. Like you shouldn't be able to build a deck that is just a champion against every other deck in the format. You know, like yeah, you should have good and bad matchups. And sometimes your matchup is so bad that it's not even worth dedicating sideboard slots to mm-hmm. like what's the point of turning a 20% matchup into a 30% one? If it's going to sacrifice your, your 50 or 60% matchups, you know? And so the other thing is like, um, this is the time, you know, well, throughout this whole process, you need to be very uh, honest with yourself and Mm -hmm. be like, Hey, um, it's hard to say like, Hey, you don't, just because you have, you know, a 10% chance to win this match doesn't mean it's good. It's, or like you should keep playing it or something. Right. Maybe you just can't win that matchup. <laughs> and that's just it. Actually, especially in a long tournament, like don't use brain power um, on something that is. I mean, this is person specific. I know players, great players have, have landed on either side of this. Like Reed Duke almost never concedes and tries to find every line he can that gives him a chance to win. Uh, and then I've heard players like Ben Stark say, like, it's just not worth it for them because they might spend like too much time and energy trying to figure out this 7% game and that might cost them a game down the line that was like a 50 or 60% game because mm-hmm. they're tired you know? like, so you're like tired on either side of this but mentally you're tired maybe you didn't get to use the washroom uh like you needed to you were hungry all those kinds of things happen in not just online tournaments but in in person as well where you're like uh, i could spend all time doing this and then spend another chunk of like an hour playing my next matches and it's just it's gonna be too much it's not really worth it just move on so yeah uh realizing that earlier and earlier i think um can be helpful i mean obviously we're not saying hey just concede if it's a bad matchup but um (laughs) yeah 
But the thing to, to take away from this is, is to be really thoughtful and deliberate when mm -hmm. you're when you have a deck you like and now it's time to construct the sideboard. And I really like this idea of just every bad card I have because drawing a dead card really, really kills you mm -hmm. in a matchup. It's like, you know, it's like mulliganing. And sometimes yeah, you'll then mulligan into a hand that has two bad cards in it. You're like, oh. Oh, well then this has um, nothing. In. And realize yeah. those things. Like, uh, if you end a match with a card in your hand you had from the beginning and you never played it, maybe that's a card that you didn't need for that matchup if you went through the whole game um, and never had to use it. Or just, yeah. it's, there's or, always Or like you're saying, I, I see a ton of people with cards that are good in a matchup that they're already really favored in, you know, like... Mm -hmm. I remember back in the day, Sultimatum players often had hate for Rakdos in their sideboard, like graveyard hate for Rakdos. I was like, you are already destroying Rakdos so easily. Don't waste sideboard slots on this. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I just wanted to bring up an example of like how this kind of comes into practice. You see this in the pros all the time. Some people might wonder why the pros are so high on um, Cling to Dust. And the reason is that, like, because Cling to Dust is not the best graveyard hate. And it's also not the best life gain card. But the fact that it does both for one mana at instant speed means that it's not that embarrassing to play this against an aggro deck. Because you just exile a creature that you've killed from their graveyard, gain three life in a pinch. And it's not embarrassing to play this against cards that use the graveyard. And it's not embarrassing to play this against rogues, for example, because it is has escape. So this is a card that doesn't really do anything particularly well, but it's such a coveted sideboard card because it's it's an upgrade over your worst card in like three or four different matches. Mm -hmm. it, it, like the worst thing it can do is just cycle itself for one mana. Cycle, yeah. Or and you have the option of gaining three life instead. Mm -hmm. You know, like obviously you would never play one black mana instant speed gain three life. Yeah, but hey, when you need that life, you will play it. When you know when you're getting attacked for lethal, it looks pretty good. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I do like what you said about um, knowing which matchups you have you're like really great against and not having to overkill them because there's no reason to. Like your sideboard should be helping you against matchups that you're bad against, not ones that you're hoping. Or fifty fifty. Like or 50 try to be the breaker in a fifty fifty matchup. Mm -hmm. But um, just again, sideboards are super important and you should spend time building it and writing it down. I think it's big. Um, going into a tournament, especially when there's a bunch of things going on or whatever. Um, I, I mean, I don't have a ton of experience, but when I was doing my tournaments, I had a sideboard guide that I made for myself prior to it. Just because I wanted, I knew there were other factors I didn't have in my control. And the one thing I wanted to be able to be uh, great at or know about was my deck right um yeah. especially and Just, also like gregor kowalski he always posts um oh yeah, great, great follow him on twitter if yeah you, follow if him you on twitter because he'll post a deck and his entire uh like sideboard guide just to be like hey this is some stuff and go check it out see how he does it it's amazing like and it'll even in, come with like a metagame a brief metagame analysis of what he considers the best decks where he thinks this deck lands in that like metagame mm -hmm. um 
Yeah, because... You could see everything we're talking about in one of his Twitter posts because he's so thoughtful about what he's doing with exactly. every Exactly. So plays. you can read that really quickly. You could listen to us for an hour and a half and be like, oh, okay, I've learned some <laughs> stuff. But you literally just, like, read one No, Twitter no, see, post. they listen to us and then they go through and they're like, like, okay, this is what the deck looks like in the boil, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you, you can... Um, see those kinds of things but just the boil is the time to figure out your sideboard and start really thinking about meta in in the uh, recipe phase you think about meta just as, as your beginning but this is the time where you're actually trying to figure out okay where am i going to fit in in this and how do i combat the other decks i will be really playing against? right and hopefully you were honest in the recipe phase when you said what decks am i just naturally going to lose to because my game plan is yeah we or it's that game plan or you're so. you're like hey that deck was just for fun i i like playing you know yeah mono, like this is green. something i should have said in, in the recipes thing again i guess but it's just it's worth bringing up that i see on twitter on the reddit all the time all the time on the red spikes reddit for competitive uh, magic someone posts a new brew and they say oh this deck's a bit weak to aggro but is strong against the rest of the field all the time everybody thinks their homebrew is only bad against aggro and is good against everything else that other people are playing these are people that are not being honest with themselves if you think your deck beats sultimatum it beats gruel adventures it beats teamer adventures it beats mono white you know like and it loses to only to mono red you're not being honest with yourself mm. yeah 100 <laughs> just doesn't do that i'm sorry yeah <laughs> Also, just so like, I always like take those deck lists with a grain of salt because they're not they're not really thinking about the matchups. They've just won a couple of matches. Exactly. And have de declared it favored. Yeah, and I think that kind of moves us into our fifth phase, which is uh, fermenting. So in beer, Jeff, would you like yeah. to take the reins on this one? Because I'm just gonna add every beer thing to you. Yeah, I think everybody knows what this phase is about. Mm -hmm. You uh, you add the yeast, and the yeast eats that sugar that we uh, had in the beer and it expels carbon dioxide and also alcohol yeah um, so at this point we're not carbonating so we're not super concerned with the carbon dioxide we're concerned about the alcohol it's putting into our beer exactly it's like the yeast is eating sugar and just farting out alcohol or pooping it out i guess yeah um, so this is so, when you you take your deck and then you pour yeast on it and it eats all the cards that you worked so well exactly, making the sugar yeah. smell yeah. Uh, please don't do this with your very expensive cards at home or your computer or your keyboard we will not be responsible yeah we are not part of that <clears throat> uh yeah so the thing about fermentation and that's why i wanted to have this step be this step is that uh, no matter how well you did the previous phases your beer's quality will be make it's now make or break depending on whether the fermentation is good or bad like, you could have done everything else perfectly. If you have a bad fermentation, your beer sucks. And if you if you only did okay previously, but you ferment, you had a really good fermentation, your beer's going to be good. So this is, like, the most important stage. Previously, we were deciding the characteristics of our beer. Mm -hmm. You know, is it going to have this maltiness? Is it going to have these hops, this flavor? Now we're deciding, is the beer good or not, basically? Um <laughs> <clears throat> and so for magic for me this is just practicing with your deck learn how to play the deck that you now have yeah absolutely if if you're a terrible player with a great deck it doesn't really matter how good the deck is you yeah know? it doesn't matter how long you spent building your deck and putting the pieces together if you can't play it 
like playing yeah, and, and and we've harped on this many many times before right. but uh it, it's important to be part of the brewing process as well because you need to practice with that deck you need to know the different interactions in your deck you know like there's always weird stuff with every magic deck you know even in mono red aggro oh hey look do do i know that when i attack with baseless haven i'm allowed to play cards that i exiled previously with robber of the rich because baseless haven is technically a rogue i that could knowing that interaction could come up or not knowing that interaction could decide a game Mm -hmm. random niche things like that the more you play the more random stuff you have um Obviously, obviously, this is really important if you're like net decking is like all you're doing is practicing. Kind of if you net deck, you just jump straight to this point. Right. Someone else has done the boil for you. Yeah. They did all the other parts and you just have to learn how to play. But just because you built a deck doesn't mean you know how to play. You know how it's supposed right. to function. But there might be like some the off cards that like you didn't think really or you know that they like work together because you've been going through this whole process. But like. There might be corner cases where you're like, this is actually better than playing my engine right now or whatever because yeah, exactly. you've put in the hours. And so the fermentation is the time to like, you need to put the hours into your brew. Right. And at the start, I was talking about why I wanted to play Control and Historic. And this is why, because I've played enough Control that I felt like I would be able to pilot that deck with some confidence rather than, oh, if I played Demir Rogues, I have to... I have to know stuff really like I've played rogues before in standard, but in historic, it's a whole different thing because rogues is all about knowing your opponent's deck uh, very well and responding basically perfectly to it. Control is like, I knew when to commit another, like even if I have a board wipe coming up, I know when I need to commit another removal spell to the board because it's too much damage and when it's not and stuff like that, because I've played years of playing control Mm -hmm. so i that's why i picked that deck is because i know that i could pilot it better yeah and and we've seen like the op you know we said if your deck is great but you're bad you're gonna lose a lot we've seen the opposite where some players have brought some pretty suspicious decks to some great tournaments but because they are so good and know the deck so well they can still win you know like reed duke brought um abzan i think to one of the pro tours and he top aided, and everyone in the world would have told you that Abzan was a terrible deck in modern at that time because it just had bad matchups against everything that was popular. But because he was so good with the deck, it was better for him to bring that than to bring Storm, which I think is what the rest of his team played mm-hmm. because he was so much better with Abzan than with Storm. Yeah. And also, you know, this is the time to realize, you know, maybe you don't know your play style yet. Maybe you're building decks mm-hmm. and you're like, this just seemed really cool. And then the more you play and you put in hours and hours, you're like, you might end up realizing that you think the deck is good, but you don't like playing it. Or, or you know, different things like that. Like, this is a big thing if you're net decking because you're, like, um, sure, yeah. going to be playing a lot from decks that you don't, um, you don't build. But, like, this is going to be the same uh, step in both of those situations. Um, if you brewed it, you've put in a ton of hours to it already. Um, but this is not the time where you're wanting to like change stuff, right? This is the time where you're like, everything's made, like you're done building it. Basically you are just practicing and practicing and, um, and playing it is interesting. Like even Arne Hushimbet, who was like recently won the call time championship. Like you need to know that if you're playing emergent ultimatum uh, against that deck, 
in that matchup, you just don't have to play anything for them the first like four turns. Like, oh, maybe the best way to counter their removal spells is not to play anything and then screw them up later. Yeah, and the specific interaction you're referring to is to not get hit by Elspeth's uh, nightmare. nightmare. Because if you give them a target for it, it now comes down, it kills your Thieves Guild Enforcer, and then it also duresses you, and it's just an amazing card. And you saw Arna time and time again not play Thieves Guild Enforcer because he knew he wouldn't be able to get it up to four power before his opponent would get to cast Elspeth's Nightmare. Hmm. And that would make that card too strong. So you wait. Yeah. Him. So you're, he's waiting until he can make that um, three power or more so that Elspeth's Nightmare can't hit it. Um, and that's not a play you make without practice. Exactly. That's like a master play where you're like, this is my deck. I know it better than my opponent. I know it better than everybody else. That's why I'm here, and that's why I'm winning right now. And that's where you yeah, want to His play yourself. was just phenomenal, that whole event. But Yeah. And so that's the, where you want to be. Like, maybe it's, it, you know, the plays you're making don't make a lot of sense unless you've played that deck over and 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 over again. Yeah. And so this is the time that you're, you know, you're fermenting this deck and you're getting through all the pieces. And maybe you're, you're playing a matchup you've played hundreds of times. And you're like, okay, well, I know what they're going to have. Probably their best hand is probably this, 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 this. And so it has to be that one moment where you're like, you know what? What if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, quote unquote? And I do don't it do differently. the quote unquote obvious play. What, if, what happens if I what don't do that? What if I do it differently? Um, what if I play the, the game making them think I have a card I don't have? That's when you start to get to that situation, right? No, no. What happens when you do that is you draw that card. Mm-hmm. And then they were right to play around it the whole continue to play. <laughs> of course. They're like, no, um, my bluff failed again. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's this is the time, like... Um, of course, we're not going to have a how to brew a, a deck without saying, hey, you should be good at playing... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we just like... but we did need to bring it up because I think people often refer to like oh I can't believe oh, no skill red deck that's why he won or yeah. something it's like people win there are players who win with mono red even when nobody else can win with mono red yeah. why because every deck takes exactly. skill and it's, to master I also think it's really important to talk about when we're saying brewing decks because when you make the deck and the sideboard and everything's finished you still have to be able to play it, or otherwise it's just cards. Like, it's not a deck yet. You have to be able to play your deck, or it's just a list. That doesn't matter. And that you can look at, you can look at any list and not understand how it goes together and fumble through it, but it's not a deck, right? Um, so this is where you're actually sharpening your tools, and you're being able to use it the way it's supposed to be used, and the way you built it yeah. to be used. Right. And I don't want to say that you can't enter a competitive event before you've done this. Like, hey, go for it. I played in a competitive event last week with my team or Teferi deck. Yeah, do whatever that, you want. As I mentioned previously, that's still in the loudering. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a slap together sideboard. But it's just, you know, for me, it was more faithful practice, like testing. It was more faithful loudering than I would get on the ladder. So I was like, hey, why not? Yeah, see, and then the players I'm going to play against are a bit better. Than exactly. And if you go into it, and once again, if you go into it knowing that that's what you're doing, then that's a great practice exercise, right? Yeah, I went 2-3, by the way. So there you go. I was losing. Yeah. But uh, every match felt close, and I felt like there was stuff I could do differently or cards I could change to maybe have affected the outcome of that match. So I think I learned a lot, actually. Exactly. And that's what that phase is for. That's great. 
That's perfect. Like, my opponent just slapped down an Elder Gargaroth, and I remember thinking, like, I don't really have any way to beat Elder Gargaroth in my entire deck. <laughs> like, I could phase it out for a turn with Teferi, but... That's about that, it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you need those uh, you know, opponents to help you Not a card I thought about. Yeah. Or Coma, I also learned, is literally unbeatable for my decks. So. Yeah. Well, that card's just amazing. But, um, <laughs> yeah. However, moving away from fermenting, the last stage that we have for this whole thing and for our beer is, of course, one of the most important ones. And what would that be, Jeff? Uh, let's go with kegging. Kegging sounds good. Yeah, I like That's kegging. Right. We have we weren't sure kegling, kegging, bottling, canning. These are all, but you know, putting out the final product. It, it sounds yeah. So you fermented it. Um, there's some filtering that goes on, and and a couple other you know quality control things. But for the most part, everything's finished, and you're ready to share this with the world. Um, That's right. So you know that your deck is well. Let's go in beer terms as as we started off. Um, you know, you're just ready to to share it with your friends and your family and get kind of drunk. Like you, you know, yeah. you did so much work. You know, that is yeah. Like, we didn't give me the the chance to explain what kegging is in beer terms. It means putting your beer in a keg. Oh yeah, sorry if you don't yeah. know what that is already. <laughs> um, a keg is a large steel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know, barrel that you use? Yeah. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, um, it's a modern barrel. That's it's, yeah, it's like a modern barrel. Um, but anyway, this is when you just, you know, this is the fun part. This is the, hey, um, this is the chance where you get to take your deck and you're like, you know what? I'm going to post this on Twitter. I get to show that I got mm -hmm. to Mythic with it. This is, um, oh, I was in this tournament. I get to do that. Or this is me. Finally, I kegged it. I can bring it to a tournament. All those kinds of things. Um, yeah. whatever this means for you right like being proud of this awesome deck that you've yeah. accomplished you get to post this in your Maybe. your group chat of your friends that that play or whatever you're like it's i did it it's done it's i, like I completed what, it one of the awesome goals for arena players is to build a deck and then get to mythic or or diamond or whatever is you know the highest you've been with a deck that you built that's a really great feeling and i promise you you can do that like you can build a deck and get to Mythic with that deck. You don't have to net deck to get to Mythic. Um, and then you get to post that, like you're saying. Share it with your friends. Mm -hmm. Hey, guys, I got to Mythic. And with the, the brew that I, I made up. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've been talking about this for a while. I finally got the right pieces. I did it. I practiced a lot. I did this whole stuff, and I got there. Post um, it to Reddit. Be honest about its good and bad matchups. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a like. Yeah, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Send it to us. Please send it to us on Twitter and yeah. Instagram at Arena Regulars. We would love to see all of your, your brews that you're working on. Um, and tell us what either, you know, if you get it kegged, that's awesome. That's a huge accomplishment in itself is just to keg a deck. Um, but, sure. but, you know, if you're in a mash, if you're in a louder or a boil, you know, if you're just fermenting it for hours and hours, please tell us <laughs> all the kind of stuff. Yeah. Even if it's just a recipe you thought that was cool, uh, hit us up. Um, we would love to talk to you about it. And yeah, I guess that's the thing I didn't mention, but I was hoping was was obvious. But fermenting takes the longest. Yes, for uh, yes, as far as beer goes, fermenting does take the longest. And in deck uh, playing, right. <laughs> exactly. In deck playing, it also takes a long. It also time. takes the longest amount of time. Um, the one thing I want to add to kegging, though, is that uh, this doesn't mean that all is done, because you now after you keg the beer, you wait, you taste it. You make changes to the recipe. 
So you should still be, you know, still be fixing your deck. Yeah. Maybe you don't start all over again, but, you know, when you're, um, you'll probably learn a lot from this process. And, uh, you know, you'll learn a lot from, like, brewing your own beer or, you know, cooking a meal or anything that you do that you've sure. worked all this, you know, put all this effort into. The next time you do it, you're going to have a lot more, um, I don't know, ideas or... Uh, you've just learned things to make it better this this next time, or maybe go faster, or all that kind of stuff. You'll be more efficient. Or maybe you realize, hey, that style of deck, not really my jam. Maybe I not should for me. You know what? Maybe I really like hyper aggressive linear decks, and that's totally awesome. Do that. Yeah, and, and I think there's like, if you like decks, you tend to play them better too. Yeah. Um, I actually don't really know anyone who's like, oh, I I'm awesome with aggro decks but i really hate aggro decks you know? like, well i'm sure there are people out there that like are maybe. really good at a, a style of deck but just hate it um but for the most part you know fun and skill like how good you're gonna get are intertwined because if you're having a fun with the deck you're gonna play it more exactly and uh and then you're gonna win more which is gonna make you have more fun so it kind of works both ways yeah. um, and also like be just be honest like it, there's no there people like to make a stigma about oh these decks are, are harder or better or whatever and we've talked about this over and over again but like i went through this you know i was the friend in my friend group when i was a kid who didn't really play aggressive decks and my friends were doing that and i always thought i'd be much cooler or better if i did all this other shenanigans and then i realized like maybe i just like hyperlinear decks that are you know more focused and, <laughs> yeah. and that was awesome and which I, is funny because as a kid i was boros aggro lightning helix guy yeah and, now, and you know now i think aggro is one of my worst archetypes and it's one of my best that i pilot yeah and, and it, it, you just it, just be honest with yourself and obviously all these archetypes are made for a reason and we need players of all the different archetypes to make the game work so it's it's wonderful if you like playing any of them. Just please play. That's all we ask. Yeah. So, um, anyway, that is what we think about brewing decks and beer. And that's the process we believe you should be using. Um, but as we talk about beer, uh, my beer is pretty empty. And, oh, I think, I think you hear a last call. I hear something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it. Uh, so we should uh, get beers before we can't buy beers anymore. Hmm. <laughs> uh, well, Jeff. Normally we like have a whole beer reveal and all that stuff, but um, I, I was ready with my beer off camera. We're not. Yeah. We're not doing that this time. No, no. I, I'm choosing your beer. <laughs> oh, we picked the same hey, one. Yeah, we did. Wow. Hey, look at that. It's the only beer we had to choose, but. No, Jeff. I think well, I would have been really offended if you showed up with like a Bud Light or something. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I Sorry, man. I that. just couldn't stomach another, oh, another one. No, I just can't have three of those. Um, no, I think your Red Beer wins is is fantastic. I really like it. Um, yeah, thanks. I have tried one other one of your beers. I can't remember what it was. It was like an unfiltered-ish looking IPA. I was going to ask if you'd ever tried any of the beers that I've made. Yeah, like we, we were watching remember. football once. <clears throat> I think I that remember. was one of my uh, less than stellar. I thought that one was good. Um, okay. It, 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 in maybe, either maybe case. Maybe it wasn't that. I had, 
Like I've had some good ones and some some horrible ones. So. Yeah, in, in <laughs> just like case, brewing a deck, you know. Yeah, this this beer is um, it tastes like a real beer. Wow. Thank you, thank you. You could sell this. In a <laughs> you know, place. that's a compliment you're not supposed to give to people. I know. <laughs> that's why I wanted to give it to you. Um, so if you don't know, uh, if your friend is a brewer or someone who just makes stuff in general. Um, don't or, ever or anything really. Yeah, just don't give them the compliment. Hey, this looks like a real thing. Uh, you could sell this or whatever. It just seems. Right. <laughs> um, I've definitely done this to other brewer friends that we had, um, or just you know, people in general. If someone hands you a beer and says, "Hey, I made this beer," and you drink it and say, "Hey, that tastes like a beer," they're like, "Okay, yeah. cool. Yes, I know. I gave it to you and I made it. So do, do you I'll, like it? Or do you like it? What What does it taste like?" That, that's usually what people are looking for. So Obviously, your intentions are good and, you know, it's meant as a compliment or whatever. But um, yeah, and most, if we just be a little more thoughtful about our compliments, then that, well, that goes a long way. <laughs> yeah, and usually, hey, this is good enough to sell. Is it necessarily the compliment you think it is? Um, right, yeah. There, there's implications lying there that you didn't mean, but you yeah. know, are ways to interpret that. Exactly. Um, in any case, this is good enough to sell. <laughs> <laughs> no it I, hurts even more when i know you're saying it as a dagger yeah <laughs> no i think this beer tastes, i expected your beer to be terrible uh tastes real nice i like um like it has a little bit of a sweetness but it's not too sweet it doesn't have that really honey brown flavor to it um but it has a nice like red color and it's very clear and the um there's like a bitterness to it that almost has a smoky like feel um, mm-hmm. but I, I like it. I really like it. I think it's, it's I think good. I that's from the Kara 80, which is yeah. like a pretty dark, um, um, pretty dark malt smoked. Yeah. But it feels <laughs> like, yeah, the smoked. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So it feels very like complex and not, um, not just something you want to just like, obviously I want to drink a bunch of these, but like it doesn't, uh, <laughs> sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes there's red ales where you're like, oh, this is good, but you know, I'm just going to throw it back a bunch of times. But this feels like I want to sit with it for a bit. I think this is solid. Like, this is this feels like you know, platinum diamond range where I'm like, I, I can yeah. definitely be in there. Thanks, man. Yeah, I was going to give it diamond because you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little biased, but uh, of course, this is one of the better beers that I've made. Um, usually, when you brew a beer, there's something that doesn't quite come out the way you wanted it to mm-hmm. and this is pretty damn close to like what i envisioned the color is i think the color is perfect um and then the you know the taste i like the taste i think uh i might tone a little bit back the sweetness next time i make the recipe um you know a few few minor changes i want to make i'm not really getting like a- almost any citrus from the aroma that mm-hmm. i described from using those yeah. those citrus aroma or, or, you know, uh, like, um, what sort I'm looking for? Like Caribbean kind of yeah, like a, in the aroma. Yeah, kind of like a tropical feel, yeah. Tropical, yeah, that's the word I couldn't think of. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not getting any of that, so I might tone that up by half an ounce next time or something. Mm-hmm. But So there are very minor changes I would make to this, but I'm really happy with the turnout. Yeah, I think it's great. Like, the only reason I I'm, say, like, borderline platinum diamond is because I want you to make it again. <laughs> <laughs> and like tweak you it a little bit. On and it. I just don't want you to stop right where you are and, and be like, all right, that's in the bag. I want you to keep yeah. working on it and uh, um, just make but more But I was obviously happy enough with it to give it such a great name. Of course. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you'll have to make more beer. Maybe we'll make one this summer. 
don't know. I yeah, keep saying that. <laughs> definitely do that. If uh, if vaccinations ever yeah, reach holy crap. this part of the part of the world. Yeah, if Ontario can ever like get its shit together, fuck man. Yeah. Anyway, we don't need to get into that because I'm gonna get real sad real fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm really happy with this, and mm-hmm. I, and I honestly do think it competes with some red ales that I've purchased. Before, Absolutely, so I've I'm definitely. Really happy with that. I think I've had a worse red ale on the show, for sure. Yeah, I think so I, too. I, I think I brought a red ale that was much worse, much worse. Was now terrible. obviously that's part of yeah. part of brewing your own beer is you get to make it to your taste. Mm-hmm. So, and this is um, this is real good. I like it. A thumb up, and a, a second one on the it, way. It gets a thumb. It gets a thumb up. A thumb up. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, is it is it closing time? I think so. I think it is. So anyway, it's closing been a great show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck, every time you got to sing that song, you keep forgetting. Oh, man. Um, I always try to wait for you to start to say something. <laughs> so that you can kind of whisper sing over me. Anyway, uh, if you ever want to talk to us and be like, hey, it's weird that Jeff d- does that while you're talking, uh, you can find us at Arena Regulars on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yeah, you might also find us on Arena itself under the username arena regulars podcasts we'll be milling you out with rogues yeah probably also just so you know i've been playing that account on my phone so if it ever, if it ever like goes really slow or like i don't know i can't pick a card for ultimatum or something it's because i'm on my phone Blame and it's, apple yeah it's just like tapped out and it won't let me uh, for whatever reason it can't handle a full match so you sure it's not because you're BMing and uh, just like <laughs> pull the plug on them so they have to wait the maximum time? Come on, be honest. All right, I have to stop because I have to wipe and then wash my hands before I click the next button. Uh, anyway, if you want to talk to me about how gross it is that I'm playing the arena account while I'm BMing, I guess uh, you can find my personal account at uh, Zulberg, Z E U L B E R G, on Twitter and Instagram. But Jeff, where can they find you? You can find me also on Twitter at uh, BluesBruiseMTG. Also, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Uh, follow us on, on all the things. I can't remember them right now. Spotify, Stitcher, go to our anchor, whatever. Uh, we would just love your feedback. Uh, it means a lot to us. And uh, go on YouTube, leave us a comment on some of our uh, videos there. Um, it just, yeah. it means even, even if your review is as simple as Zach, please remember what platforms you're on. That would be really helpful. Yeah. Us, so. Yeah. <laughs> or, or just, you know, anything ridiculous or wow, it's, you guys are really drunk. Like that, that's great. That's all we want. So would mean yeah. a lot. This has been the arena regulars reminding you to always be brewing. Good night. All right, that's fine.